Rinkwide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games make a play at bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you, and it's draft week, J-Pat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lots going down yeah. this week. Of course, in Nashville, NHL Awards tonight as well. We'll get to that in just a moment because I want to pick your brain on perhaps where some of the Canucks might have landed in, in voting for some of the awards. But a refresher here, if you will, because it is draft week and the Canucks have themselves seven picks that they can use in this year's draft. I know you were putting out a poll today asking the people, you know, how many do you expect them to use? I ask you, J-Pat, how many do you expect the Canucks to use out of those seven? Uh, I'd like to think that somewhere along the line, maybe they move back in one of the rounds to gain a couple extra picks. I'm going to say that they'll come out of it with eight selections, but uh, that's going against the trend. That is not the way the Canucks have operated over the the last years. In fact, uh, the last 10 years... Only twice in the last 10 drafts have the Vancouver Canucks used more than their allotted picks. Every team is given seven to, you know, one per round. And then it's up to them what they want to do with them, use them, or use them as currency. Uh, The Canucks had nine picks back in 2019, the year that they hosted the draft at Rogers Arena. Pod Colson, Hoaglander, Artur Silovs, Aiden McDonough. So they had nine. That's the the high watermark over the last decade. They also had eight picks in 2017, which was Elias Pettersson, among others. Uh, but otherwise, uh, the Canucks, the team, and we know we're not going to re- revisit the <laughs> the on-ice product over the last decade, but for a team that struggled as mightily as the Canucks have, uh, it's incredible how few draft picks ultimately they have accumulated and used. And really, you look at the last three years since the playoff bubble, and really, we know that the playoff bubble is sort of the high mark uh, over the last decade uh, for the Vancouver Canucks since then. There have been three drafts. The Canucks have had one first-rounder and have only had 17 total selections where if they used all seven that they were allotted, that would have been 21. So four under just the general allotment. When you hear these stories of these teams, the Blackhawks who own like 100 picks in the first three rounds and Arizona's been stockpiling picks and other teams. And for whatever reason, the Vancouver Canucks, even though they've been in a down cycle on the ice... Uh, they have just not gone that direction, and they continue to use draft picks, whether it's you know to get off Jason Dickinson's contract or packaging picks with other players uh, along the line. That became part of the you know, you know sort of standard operating procedure under Jim Benning and, and that regime. So, yeah, it, it's remarkable. Uh, they used to pick last year on Jonathan Lekaramaki, 15th overall, but that was their first first-rounder since Pod Colson in 2019. They traded away a first-rounder for JT Miller. They traded a first-rounder in the ill-fated Arizona deal with OEL and Connor Garland. So, yeah, this year they've got seven as things stand right here, right now. They do have a first-rounder, 11th overall, but they don't have a second-rounder. That was packaged with the first-rounder they got from the Islanders to get Philip Heronik. So the Canucks are going to, you know, if they use the 11th overall, well, fairly early on Wednesday night, and then rounds two through seven are on Thursday. Well, as it stands right now, uh, they don't have a second rounder, so you won't have to wake up early on Thursday, <laughs> fear that you're going to miss something. Uh, and then the Canucks have two-thirds and three fourth-round picks, and then they've got a, a sixth-rounder as well. So that's where it stands at the outset of draft week. Again, Patrick Galvin last week telling us that uh, he's listening, he's getting lots of calls about 11, you know, thinking about moving up perhaps, maybe they move down. Again, I think the most likely scenario, though, is you take one of those fourth-round picks, maybe, and move back in the draft and try to parlay that into a couple of fifth-round. You know, it's not sexy stuff, 
but it is a way to flesh out your draft capital to pick up more assets ultimately and we'll see or maybe you package a couple of those fourth rounders and try to move up in the draft that that that's my sense of the way things will shake down for the Vancouver Canucks but again with one phone call uh that can be blown out the window and maybe they're big players on the trade front you know as things start to go down here I think yesterday was a travel day for most teams with their management groups getting into Nashville the awards tonight and then uh, we'll see Tuesday will be a day to you know pour over lists and maybe make some calls to other teams and then of course they all get uh, to Bridgestone Arena Wednesday night first round of the NHL draft yeah, and that first round, of course, the 11th overall pick. We all know about that with the Canucks. They got two-thirds, three-fourths, and they have Detroit's and New York Rangers in the fourth. They get the Leafs' third pick as well as their own in third and fourth as well. Not a lot of success, though, in late rounds for the Canucks. And I'll take the last three drafts and put them aside. But when it comes to late-round success, as a, you know, from let's just say from two on, not a whole lot of success for the Canucks. I think the one they hit out of the park the most would definitely be Thatcher Demko at 36th overall back in 2014. In fact, that 2014 draft was kind to the Canucks. The problem is Gustav Forsling, fifth round pick. Where's he now? Not a Vancouver Canuck. Jared McCann, 24th overall in that first round. We all know about Jake Furtanen. Jared McCann's not here anymore. Nikita Triampkin, although if you listen to Dollywall, one day he's coming back here. But uh, the Canucks definitely going to need some more success when it comes to uh, late round picks. And yeah, I mean, look, I think it's more of a mixed bag. I'm not sure you're giving them the credit necessarily. Like, Ben Hutton was a, a fifth-round pick, and certainly he's played in the NHL as a Stanley Cup champ now, uh, not with the Canucks. But, you know, even in the 2017 draft, they took Pedersen in the first round. They had two second-rounders. Cole Lind and Jonah Gadjevich have both played in the National Hockey League. You know, it goes deeper than that, though. Mikey DiPietro, obviously, has made it to the National Hockey League. You know, Aiden McDonough is a seventh-round pick, got into games. You know, there are some examples. Have they absolutely crushed it? No. Arthur Silas may change that conversation. He was a sixth-rounder in 2019. So I think when I look at, you know, they've had some success at the top end of the first round, as you'd expect, Patterson and Hughes. Uh, jury's still very much out on Vasily Podkolzin. I look back at recent second-rounders, though, and that's where, you know, like Jet Wu and Hoaglander. Uh, we talk about Lyndon Gadjevich. You know, like, you just, you'd like to think Thatcher Demko stands alone as a second-rounder that, you know, has emerged as a, an, an everyday player and a, a legitimate, you know, uh, guy that's bordering on elite goaltending. So they've had mixed results. Yulevi uh, and Vertanen in the first round, but obviously Pedersen and Hughes are the guys they want to build around. I, you just like to think that so many like stud players in the NHL were second rounders. Like you can find like elite level talent there. And that's something that the Canucks in the last decade, they really haven't unearthed a ton out of their second rounders. So let's see. What- but even with the late round, like they've had some success. My point is, is that they're not with the Canucks though. The success that they've had, you know, Gustav Forsling is a great example of that. Right? Jared McCann, I know he's on multiple teams at this point, and that's a really tough one to sort of... And so is Forsling. Like, Forsling went to the Blackhawks in Carolina. Like, you know, that sometimes that happens. Like, Gustav, For- Gustav Forsling is just a perfect example of a defenseman that did ultimately take longer to develop than uh, certainly Jim Benning was prepared for. But, you know, if it was that they had just moved him and he had become, you know, a top four guy somewhere else, but he took the long and winding road. And so, you know, every team's got those guys. I'm not too concerned that some of the deeper round guys uh, haven't 
you know, panned out for the Vancouver Canucks. I just, I think you find elite level talent in the first two rounds and the Canucks have a small example in Pedersen and Hughes, but you just wish by now uh, they've been picking relatively high for the last decade because they've been bad on the ice uh, and not just high in the first round. When you're bad, you're picking high in the second round as well. And you, I, to me, that's where there's been a bit of a drop off and a downfall is that they haven't unearthed guys that are stepping into this lineup and contributing on a nightly basis that went in the, the second round of the last decade. Jim Rutherford, uh, and of course, it's, you know, Patrick Alvine is the one really technically running the ship, but you know, Jim Rutherford is definitely highly involved in this as well. He likes to trade first round picks. We've seen that before yeah. with the Penguins. Now, a bit of a different circumstance, right? When you've got Sid the Kid and, and, and Malkin there. But, you know, do you see a scenario where perhaps they move it for help now? I know we've talked about this before, or like it, it kind of feels like this is a must. Like they, they, they got to build out here in terms of you've got to have that high end talent uh, as you move forward in the future here with the Canucks. Yeah, I, I just, they have to come out of Nashville with a first rounder. If they move back, like I'm okay with that. If they accomplish something, if they move a bad salary, they create more cap space that then they're going to use through trade or free agency. But they maintain, and certainly to me, it would feel like the top 20. Uh, there are a couple teams, and Buffalo's got some draft capital. They may be looking to move up. Nashville, home draft team, looking to make a splash, looking to get better. And then Chicago, you know, they all have picks between 10 and 20. You know, if I'm the Canucks, I, I think I look and listen. But I'll, I, right now, I'm expecting the Canucks will use that 11th overall pick. But regardless, if they trade down, they cannot trade out of the first round. They didn't have a first rounder in 2020. They didn't have a first rounder in 2021. And Jonathan LeCaramacchi, who knows, I'll give the kid an opportunity, but brutal most of the season, decent playoff performance, but a winger and still, you know, questions about ultimately what's he going to do and, and when's he going to arrive here. They need more. They like There are a lot of people that are saying that because of the stack nature of this draft at the top end, that whoever the Canucks pick 11th, immediately becomes their best prospect that, you know, John and in this year's draft might've been at the back end of the first round, maybe even squeezed to the second round. And so if you're getting a guy 11th in a, you know, a stud draft class, he becomes your, your best prospect immediately for the Vancouver Canucks. And, and we know that they don't have enough guys uh, in the stable, in the system. And so I think ultimately they're going to use that 11th overall pick, but even if they drop down, I still think whoever they got, 15th, 19th, 20th, something like that, probably still is your best prospect uh, moving forward, at least for uh, you know the, the next year. Uh, we got our buddy Cam Robinson that's going to be on the draft floor as well uh, for Elite Prospects and us as well. He's going to be giving us some feedback from the draft as well. So stay tuned for that. I mean, you and I aren't big prospects guys, so we'll let Cam unpack some of those. But uh, we got boots on the ground in Nashville, as they say, J-Pat. Cowboy boots? Uh, probably. I know oh, Cam. He's a stylish know. dude. Yeah. Like, why not? I mean, hey, why not? I could see Cam. Cowboy boots, bandana, you know, okay. that big flow going out the back. He'd fit right in there. I wanted to wear like one of those big foamy Yes. Like cowboy hats, like the, the <laughs> like Homer, <laughs> yeah, like the prank gag, you know, like forget like an actual cowboy. I want him to go strutting into Bridgestone with like the massive, floppy, foamy cowboy hat. And and you got to get a belt buckle, right? Like you oh, got to get one of yeah. those just absurd belt buckles, just the size of two fists together. Well, and it's incredible because Broadway, the main drag right there, the rink is on Broadway, and then all the bars and honky tonks and stuff, and in between the bars. 
there are so many cowboy boot and buckle stores. Like it's just for fun. Like I'm not a cowboy boot guy, but when I was in Nashville for one of the Canuck road trips, I just think you got to go. So just walk in. It's the, the assortment, the, you know, the, the inventory is just insane. It's exactly what you think it would be for buckles and boots and hats. Like it's, you can get any shape, size, color, you name it, it's there. And so I'm sure we'll see some funky getups uh, from NHL team personnel you know, hopefully some of the players is like, this is your Get way into it. Yeah. Like, like the NBA, yeah. like dress it up a little, have yeah. some fun, embrace Nashville. So I would expect that we will see some outfits. I was thinking over the weekend, though, too, just in the wake of our Friday show, coming off the news about uh, all the theme nights and specialty jerseys, I would love to see an NHL team be so bold as to present their first pick with their jersey but the pride version of their jersey and make Gary Bettman stand there and smile and pose for a photo on the stage at Bridgestone. It's not going to happen, but uh, I just think uh, I'd love to see it. Oh, Gary would be so pissed. So pissed off. There's no way that if that did happen, boy, the national or whatever team, they'd hear about it for sure. So I'm with you on it. I just don't. Can see I should take happening. like eight of those, all the different, the whole variety, and give the kid and a chance, every like, different pick. Yeah, yeah you pick. Yeah. What do you want? Like, yeah, what do you want? Yeah, yeah. Who do you want to support? Yeah, we're down with every cause. By the way, uh, plead my uh, or excuse my ignorance here, but what the hell is a honky tonk? Is it just a bar? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just a Tennessee thing, and that's what that's what it is. Because I know the honky tonk man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I know old school wrestling, but I always wondered that. What the hell? All is those honky guitars tonk? the honky tonk man went through too. Yeah, right? he went through a lot of guitars. Oh. Hopefully, he had like a sponsor or something. <laughs> You did a poll, actually, around the draft as well. And our poll, of course, is pre- presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. You said Canucks currently hold seven picks in this year's NHL draft. But Patrick Alvin says he's uh, taking and making phone calls. How many selections will they make this week? I was in the five to six category. That's what, that's yeah. what I bet. And right now, 59.5% of the people are agreeing with me. But it's tight on the other side. Uh, eight or more at 20.7%, seven at 19.8%. Uh, head over to uh, at Rinkwide Van, cast your vote there. Also at Patterson Jeff, just one T there, and Jeff with a J on Twitter to cast your vote. Um, and until awards tonight. And yes. obviously we know none of the Canucks made it as a finalist, but we're just wondering, you know, where exactly perhaps Elias Pettersson landed in terms of the Hart Trophy voting. And of course, Quinn Hughes with the Norris Trophy voting. Where do you think? Let's start with the Hart. Where do you think Elias Pettersson ended up? You think he was a top 20? Well, we'll find out. And that's one of the beauties of it. Uh, the awards show itself, but they also release the the ballots and, and we see where guys finished. And so from a Canucks standpoint, uh, there are no Canucks that are finalists for any of the awards. So we know that Elias Pettersson didn't finish in the top three uh, for any of the individual awards. I, I'll be curious. I mean, he was a top 10 scorer, 102 points. And we know that he rounded out his two-way game. Patrick Alvin last week calling him a top 10 or 15 player in the National Hockey League. I do wonder if he'll get uh, you know a couple of fifth place votes somewhere along the line as somebody's rounding out their ballot, but I, I'm not anticipating that he's going to receive a lot of love for the heart. I do wonder though. I'm curious to see how close he is to the finalists for the Selkie because I think that's an award you have to work your way onto the radar. 
You sort of have to announce your arrival to the league and to get consideration. And now next year, I would think like he could very well be if he has a another strong year. I think he could absolutely be a Selkie finalist. You know, I'd like to see him up his faceoff percentage. I'd like to see him help the team get better killing penalties and those types of things. Pretty hard to you know give him a ton of shine for the Selkie on a team that gave up as many goals, penalty killing dead last, but you know it wasn't because of Elias Pettersson. So I think he's absolutely uh, going to be in the Selkie conversation. And I do think he should, not that anybody worries about the Lady Bing anymore, but um, you know the top 10 scorers in the National Hockey League, he had the fewest penalty minutes. He wasn't a finalist for the Lady Bing, but I, I think he was a strong candidate. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, his last two minor penalties were both puck over the glass. You know, they weren't infractions of sticks, you know, hooking and holding and slashing and that kind of stuff. They just, just puck over the glass. But they go to his penalty minute total, I suppose. And I think a lot of people just look at the penalty minute totals and think, you know, those are your Lady Bing candidates. So I think you'll see Elias Pettersson figure fairly prominently. And then Quinn Hughes, obviously, that one to me is really interesting. Uh, not a finalist for the Norris. So he's not in the top three, but, you know, this is a guy that tied for second in scoring among defensemen, was fourth in the National Hockey League in average ice time per game, again, on a bad Canuck team, and that'll work against him. But I'm curious. In my mind, Quinn Hughes should probably be top five vote-getter for the Norris. Uh, I don't know that he'll get the respect that he's due. So he might come in sort of in that seven or eight. We've said this so many times. Like it's just such a golden age for good, young, mobile point producing defensemen around the national hockey league. You know, and then that question of will Hughes ever win a Norris? Will he ever be a finalist? Uh, You know, will he have that one season that allows him sort of to rise above uh, all the other candidates out there? And we'll find out. So that's what, you know, I'm expecting. It's funny because I wrote a piece of the Hockey News over the weekend just looking at who might get votes. And I think those are the only two for the Canucks this year. But I sort of forgot five different guys got at least a vote last season. Thatcher Demko got a Vesna vote. JT Miller had a Hart vote. You know, Bo Horvat got a Selkie. Patterson and Hughes were in the mix as well. So, you know, on a bad Canuck team a year ago, there were five guys that were recognized. I think this year only. I can't. Like, you know, Kuzmenko maybe uh, had been in the Consmite, or sorry, the Consmite, in the uh, Wouldn't in that the be something? Bing. That would be something. <laughs> in the, again, a guy that doesn't take many penalties, but I think. Uh, the whole pride night thing, probably people hold a grudge and the voters that vote. Like I think at that point, uh, people are looking for other candidates to, to recognize. So I do think that some of that plays into all of this, you know, those are all voted on by the professional hockey writers association. The Vesna is general managers around the national hockey league. I think coach of the year is the, the broadcasters, if I'm not mistaken. So there are some different voting groups here. What are your picks? I mean, let's start with the Norris, really. Like, because this year is such a, it tells you why this award needs to be split into an offensive category and a defensive category. Yeah. Because Eric Carlson is likely going to win it, right? 101 points and 25 goals. Dash 26, though. And I know it's a plus minus is a skewed stat, especially when you're on on an awful team like the San Jose Sharks. But like that is clearly he's not the best you know defensive defenseman in the league. Like he's definitely the best offensive defenseman by twenty five points. I think this was such an outlier season with his offensive performance and getting to hundred points. I I think he'll he'll be the guy. 
Yeah, I agree. But there's the big but in that, right? Like they, it just feels like you need to split this award. We we've had this conversation before. Yeah. So let's shelve that for. T- if you just ask me to pick, it, I think Carlson. Carlson. Yeah, sure. And I don't have a vote this year. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, Currently a member of the professional hockey writers, I have been in the past. I, I do not have a vote, so I'm happy to you know, opine here yeah. on a podcast like this one. What about the hard? I think it's pretty obvious, right? There's no way that it's not going to be Connor McDavid, so we can just move on from that. I think so. Yeah. I mean, like you know, worthy finalist Pasternak and, and Matthew Kachuk, but McDavid was in a league of his own this year. I think he has to be the MVP. I think there'll be this one will be tight at the Vesna. Connor Hellebuck, Ilya Sorokin, Alinas Allmark. I went and looked at the stats and dove right into them a bit because I was wondering if it was obviously Allmark. And as I look at the stats, to me, it's Allmark. Yeah. And remember, these are regular season awards. So yeah, exactly. yes, the yeah. Bruins flamed out in the playoffs. That's not held against them. Uh, they were the best team in the regular season historically, uh, you know, and, and Allmark was a part of that. Oh, and he scored uh, here in Vancouver against the Canucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, in my mind, I would go Linus Allmark there. You know, worthy candidates again, but uh, I just think based on the body of work, the season that the Bruins had, and the season that he had behind a good Bruins defense, and, you know, some people will try to separate that and isolate the individual goaltending statistics, and we have enough information and data now. That's fine. You can do it. To me, Allmark is your Vesna winner. How about the Ted Lindsay? This one might be interesting, J-Pat. Eric Carlson, Connor McDavid, David Pasternak. Uh, all due respect to David Pasternak, I think it comes down to Carlson and McDavid. Both had just fantastic seasons, 153 points for uh, Connor McDavid, 64 goals. So you might say, well, yeah, obviously it's McDavid. But, you know, 101 points from the blue line is not something to scoff at. Where, where do you go there? Do you still think it's his, it's McDavid? I do. I, I think McDavid is universally respected by his peers and Lindsay is voted on by the players. And that's why True. Uh, the players themselves put a lot of stock in winning it. Cause this is their peers. You know, not that I, I would imagine the players marvel at Eric Carlson and his accomplishments and playing against him is, you know, damn impossible. Cause the guy is just so slippery and gifted, but you know, you say all those same things about Connor McDavid and then he does it all at warp speed to, you know, if McDavid had finished with 120 points and Carlson had 101 as a defenseman, Maybe there is more there. I just think the numbers that Connor McDavid put up when everybody in the building on every given night knows that he's the marked man and nobody could find a way to stop him this year. To me, and again, this is the players voting, I think he's your your Ted Lindsay winner. Yeah, I was wondering what the equivalent of 101 points from the blue line is to, you know, a forward. And probably roughly, you think, 120, 125, something like that. Because 153, is that's, that's a remarkable number. And it's a number that we haven't been at in years. Yeah, and, and that's why I say like it's separated from the rest of the field sure. enough that people would sit back and go, damn. Like, yeah. that was just off the charts good for McDavid. Not that it wasn't for Carlson. But if you had a forward that came in with 115 points to lead the scoring this year, and Carlson was top 10 as a defenseman, you know, maybe that gives you reason for pause, but I, I don't think there there is this year. I think this is McDavid's. I like what the Calder Trophy because I think it's in like three different tiers. You got Matty Beniers, of course, who was the highest scoring rookie. You've got Owen Power, who's just going to be an absolute beast on the blue line uh, for the Buffalo Sabers for many many years. And then you got Stuart Skinner, who you know, despite the struggles uh, in the postseason, had himself a very good regular season in goal for the Edmonton Oilers. I, I think it's Beniers to win, but at the same time too, like. If Andre Kuzmenko had been eligible, you think he would have beat Beniers? Hmm. Uh, 
he would have got consideration. I do think some people would have used his age and his pro experience against him. Even like, you know, he's not eligible, but his body of work does include those years in the KHL and his age is what it is. And I just think some people would have used that against him. I, I just like the fact that this one, all three positions are represented. I think that's kind of cool to, you know, I don't think Skinner has a chance. I think Owen Power, like when you think of what the Sabres asked him to do as, you know, it's a teenager still playing defense in the National Hockey League. And that guy logged big minutes and, you know, I mean, he drafted first overall for a reason. He'll This one might be closer than a lot of them. So I'm with you, though. I, I still think uh, Beneers is probably the presumptive favorite here. And I, I would think if I had to guess that Matty Beneers will be the rookie of the year. Uh, pretty cool that two Seattle Kraken are represented here. Jack Adams Award. Yeah. We have Dave Haxtall up for it against uh, Jim Montgomery of the Boston Bruins and Lindy Ruff of the New Jersey Devils. I don't think you can't not give it to Jim Montgomery for the season that the Boston Bruins had. I hear you. And actually, I agree with you. And yet it's so funny. Like Sometimes I think the voters outthink themselves here and they try to find a coach that did more with less and Maxwell did. I mean, did an incredible job to get the Kraken into the playoffs in year two and then ultimately to beat Colorado. Uh, again, the voting done at the end of the regular season here. What Jim Montgomery did in Boston. And remember early in the season, Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy were out and people were thinking that like the Bruins were, they were doomed. Like, you know, were they going to fall behind and not be a playoff team? And instead they just speed bagged the NHL, you know, to a record point total. Sometimes you just have to, step back and nod at the best team in the league is the best team in the league. And yeah, maybe they deserve to have the best goaltender win his award and to have the coach win coach of the year and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, Montgomery's got to own what happened in the playoffs, obviously, but in terms of the regular season, to me, uh, Jim Montgomery was uh, the coach of the year. Now we talked about the Selkie, of course, with the EP 40 and, you know, we'll see where he landed in that voting, but the three finalists were Patrice Bergeron, Nico Heischer, and Mitch Marner, I, I believe it's going to be Bergeron. I think it's going to be the last time Bergeron wins this award because I think he's retiring. I also think that maybe they should change the name of this award to the Patrice Bergeron yeah. Trophy because he's just dominance over many years with it. Yeah, this one feels like a career achievement uh, kind of. No, And look, I mean, he had the season. We just talked about the Bruins. But this one kind of feels like it's going to be a nod to this is sixth, I think, if he wins it absolutely one of the best players of his generation. I know people were doing a redraft of that 2003 draft, and even though he was a second rounder in the redraft, they still had him going first overall. Uh, you know, he's that good. So, yeah, I, I think uh, Patrice Bergeron has to be. And uh, again, I think Nico Heischer has played his way into this conversation, uh, will probably be a candidate at some point. Oh, he's already a candidate, I guess, but it, like, you know, a, a legitimate candidate to win it. If Bergeron decides to pack it in and give the rest of the field a chance, and that's where Elias Pettersson, I mean, that's the kind of company that he's got to, you know, first of all, be included with and then overcome, ultimately, if he's going to win himself a Selkie at some point. Yeah, they, there might be an argument that you could name it the Bob Ganey Award as well, but you're absolutely right. If Patrice Bergeron wins this, and we do expect him to, that'll be his sixth, and next to him is Ganey who has four. So you can see the dominance that Patrice Bergeron has had over this award over the years. Lady Bing Award, J-Pat, I don't know where I'm at with the Lady Bing Award. Is there a more useless award in sports? Oh, wait, the President's Trophy. That's right, there is that. But Jack Hughes, Anze Kopitar, and Braden Point, I don't care, pick one. 
I, I really don't care. I, I, that trophy to me is just, it's useless. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what it's trying to accomplish in today's NHL. I mean, the game has changed. Most guys are fairly gentlemanly now. The goon, the enforcer has been taken out of hockey, and now it's all about speed and skill all through your lines. You know, historically, defensemen have been overlooked for this award. I think generally the voters just went who had the most point totals with the fewest penalty minutes. Oh, yeah, there's your winner. But as I said, Elias Patterson had the fewest penalty minutes of anybody in the top 10, and he's not a finalist. I think Braden Point, if I'm not mistaken, he had seven penalty minutes. Like So he had one minor penalty and one major penalty at some point through the, the course of the season. And I think Jack Hughes had six penalty minutes uh, over, you know, in his incredible year. So, you know, fair play, clean play. I, I'm not opposed to it being identified, but yeah, I mean, this game, the game has changed so much. If they were to do away with the Lady Bang, I wouldn't miss it. And in fact, I, I probably would uh, be in favor of that. And uh, we've said, like, I, I'm in favor of uh, remodeling and reshaping rebranding a lot of these awards oh uh, yeah we also have general manager of the uh year award the king clancy bill masterton but uh we'll digress from there and tell you that uh all this coverage of the nhl awards and of course of the nhl draft presented by our buddy jason hominick at jason.mortgage yeah and i have to imagine that uh, he's an award winner at some point and i'm sure he'll fill us in if uh He's got uh, the hardware to, to show for it, but he can be your award winner, certainly, as best mortgage broker uh, for you. And Jason wants to help you if you're in the housing market now. I mean, there's just so much uncertainty. Uh, all of this talk about uh, variable versus fixed and, you know, the increase in mortgage rates and everything. Like, you're not expected to have all the answers. This is complex stuff, but Jason's been at this for almost 30 years. He's the pro. He's the guy that you want on your side to get the best deal for you and your family. So uh, start with a phone call. His contact information at his easy-to-remember website, Jason Hominick at jason.mortgage. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. We're going to get to some NHL news because the NHL is buzzing right now, Jay Papa. We got some big news ourselves here at Rinkwide Vancouver. We want to say welcome aboard to the Applewood Auto Group, the new official auto group partner of Rinkwide Vancouver. Yeah, and this is great news. Uh, on Friday, we found out that, uh, and we've been saying this forever, like, you know, it's just so good to have local companies support 
local like this. So we look forward to the partnership. You'll be hearing about Autowood uh, Auto Group here on Rinkwide moving forward. We look forward to working with them, have some promotional deals and tell you all about uh, you know the, the best uh, deals that you can find if you're in the market for a new automobile. Think of and keep Autowood Auto Group in mind. And welcome aboard. It's all good at Applewood. NHL News. The LA Kings are creating some more cap space as they moved a young defenseman, right shot defenseman in Sean Dursey to the Arizona Coyotes for just a second round pick. Now, Dursey, of course, is uh, going into his last year of his contract. Uh, just 1.7 on the cap. But it got me thinking, like, why wouldn't the Canucks be interested in this? I know they don't have their second round pick this year, but they do have second round picks, just not in this year's draft. Is this a player you think the Canucks should have maybe been sniffing around on? Yeah, sure. I, I would think that uh, it would have been worth kicking the tires there. I don't know if it was an in-division thing. Arizona's not anymore. I sometimes forget that, that Arizona's moved out of the Pacific, had to make way for, for Vegas and Seattle. But uh, uh, whatever the, I was a little surprised. Like, What are the Kings up to? We already know that they've shed cap space earlier this year. And now to do this one, I would have thought, like there's talk that the Kings and the Jets are deep into discussions about Pierre-Luc Dubois. I would have thought Winnipeg would have, you know. Like, so I was surprised that LA peddled Dursey in a separate trade just straight up for a, a second rounder. Now, it clears a little bit of cap space and it's also, you know, draft currency that they can use that second rounder. But I would have thought that Winnipeg or Vancouver or any team should have been interested in uh, a right shot defenseman, young, relatively young guy who, what, 39 points last season uh, on that Kings defense. So. Uh, it's interesting that it wasn't that long ago that we all, everybody in the hockey world was like, oh my God, they've got Dursey and they've got uh, Brock Faber and Helga Granz, uh, Brent Clark. They've traded the first three guys that I just mentioned there, which clearly tells you that they want to create space for Brant Clark. And maybe of the all of those guys, uh, they felt that Brant Clark, who I think was an eighth overall pick not that long ago, you know, he's the guy and they want him in their lineup as early as this coming fall. So yeah, I was a little surprised taken off guard, although Saturday was a busy day. And again, I think Sunday was a travel day for a lot of the GMs getting to Nashville. So some of them maybe wanted to get some work done uh, before they hopped on their private jets and worked their way to Music City. But earlier on Saturday, Ryan Johansson, the Port Moody boy, on his way from Nashville to Colorado. Not surprised that the Preds were trying to clear space. Uh, Not surprised that Ryan Johansson was a contract that if they could move off of, you know, that was one that they would look at. The timing surprised me just because I thought with Nashville being the hockey hub, I thought they might want to wait a little bit, you know, to make more of a splash in and around the draft itself. But maybe Barry Trotz wanted to free up that cap space to do something else ahead of the draft. Ryan Johansson's interesting to me. You know, he's 31 now, but his last three seasons, and I posted this on Saturday, three years ago, it looked like he was playing his way out of the league on one of the worst contracts in hockey. Then he bounced back and he had a 26-goal, 63-point season a year ago. And you thought, all right, like, the guy's back. I misread the situation. And then this year was uh, another big step back offensively. And then he got hurt. Remember, he got hurt against the Canucks, and that was it uh, late in the season. So uh, it's kind of been, you know, feast or famine for Ryan Johansson. And aside from the local connection, like I saw some people saying, like, well, wouldn't that have fit the bill for the Canucks? Uh, Ryan Johansson doesn't kill penalties, or at least he didn't in Nashville. Uh, and, you know, for that third-line center, the Canucks, that's something that has to, it has to include in the portfolio of whoever they find for 3C. He's got to be able to contribute to their penalty kill. And I just don't think Ryan Johansson is that guy at this stage of his career. But 
at half price, four million bucks for two more years for the Colorado Avalanche team that plays up style, uh, tempo, you know, generate offense. I think Ryan Johansson can fit right in there. And again, according to the form of the last couple of years, this next year should be an up year for him. So uh, I think Colorado getting him at uh, reduced rate, I think, you know, pretty solid move on their part. Yeah, I think Colorado looked at the UFA list as well. And I know Ryan O'Reilly basically sits probably on top in terms of centers that are available. But we talked about O'Reilly and, and the fact that you know, some teams might be hesitant about term with him. I think this is a good option for Colorado. And to say, listen, we, we see what's available on UFA. We don't really want to dive into guys for, you know, four years at you know 32 years old or 33 years old, whatever O'Reilly is. So I think it's a good uh, move by the Avalanche. And I think you're right. Like If there's a guy that looks to sort of rebound next year and have that opportunity to do that, it's Ryan Johansson uh, in Colorado. So good move there, uh, I think, by Colorado. But I think also good move by Nashville because you talked about, you know, maybe they're trying to make a splash at their own draft. Well, they got $19.5 million in cap space now. So they could make splashes in, in different ways. Maybe the, maybe they'll be a broker Well, on the draft floor. Yeah, all quite possible. And I think, too, for Colorado, you know, there's talk out there that they want to try again to keep JT Comfer in the fold. But if they can't, then Ryan Johansson is a little bit of insurance on, you know, that center ice position, a guy with a bit of a track record in the National Hockey League. As long as he's fully healthy, I still think that there is some life in Ryan Johansson. And again, I think a place like Colorado could could bring out uh, the offensive chops that uh, that he has shown throughout his career. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bowdog, Canada's choice for free casino games, poker tips, and sports odds. Some new odds coming out on Bowdog for NHL Futures, NHL Western Conference outright winner. What do you think the Canucks are at? It's plus money, obviously. It's plus money on everybody. But how much of plus money? Where do you, just take a guess. Uh, well, I think they were like 50 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup next year. I'm going to say they're like 25 to 1. Oh! Plus 2,500. Yeah, there man. you go. There you go. Well done. The Avs are the uh, outright favorite now at plus 350, excuse me. So, yeah. The Kings are really interesting to me with... The Jersey move that we just talked about and the fact that they're linked to Pierre-Luc Dubois. Vegas is the defending champs. As long as McDavid and Dreisaitl are in Edmonton, I do think the Oilers, you know, they are, the, I don't know if they're ever getting over the hump, but I think that they're perennial playoff teams. And then the Los Angeles Kings, to me, uh, look like they're ready to make a statement. And they've made the playoffs the last couple of years. So, I mean, there's the three Pacific Division playoff spots right there. If the Canucks are to make the postseason, I think their path, is pretty much relegated to being a wild card team, which maybe a lot of people thought was the case anyhow. But like, I just don't see how the Vancouver Canucks, and this is without knowing what they have planned over the next week or so. But you know, those are three pretty tall hills that they would have to climb if they were going to get one of the three Pacific Division playoff spots. Yeah, I know it's tough to sort of make this prediction right now. Um, as I mentioned, the Avs are the 
outright lowest odds right now at plus 350, but Edmonton's at plus 500. Vegas is at plus 550, but the LA Kings at plus 900. With, with what the Kings are trying to do right now, J-Pat, they might be a sneaky bet to win the Western Conference next year. And at that odds at plus 900, you're getting good money there. So, and But the only problem is here is the Pacific Division's getting stronger, right? Like, and, you know, Seattle obviously is doing what Seattle did this year. You know, we'll see what happens in Calgary. Maybe Calgary's the team that goes down uh, next year. Maybe they do sort of a, a rebuild on the fly, if you will. But yeah, that Pacific Vision just getting stronger right now. Keep an eye on those LA Kings. Keep an eye on us as well throughout the week. Uh, when news pops up, we'll be on it. And we're expecting some today. We're actually trying to get this one in the books before anything does sort of happen here, because you never know. It's minute by minute now. We do see that uh, our buddy Elliot Friedman is tweeting that there's uh, some happenings perhaps going on between Chicago and Boston. So teams are starting to get things going. We'll see exactly what the Canucks get going this week. But we'll be with you uh, throughout the week here on the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast. All right. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. Thank you.